Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Runners World Podcast with me, Rick Pearson. And me, Ben Hobson. Good day to you, Ben. Good day to you. What are we talking about this week? Uh, I don't know, Rick. Maybe <laughs> we should, I, I am. I am day seven, eight. I have to check. Probably day eight of of COVID. So uh, I am at home. Obviously, I haven't been running. Obviously, um, I've been wiped out. I mean, uh, it's not a news story, but it's quite interesting to to see that there's. Uh, the, 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 there's truth in the, uh, the there's truth in the yeah. there's truth in the tales and the impacts because yeah I've been uh, I've been pretty knocked out by it so um but on a COVID note Rick um the researchers at the University of Nottingham are investigating the impact of COVID on the running community and they're looking for runners of all levels to help us in participating in the study so um it'd be quite interesting I think. The University of Nottingham have taken it on to see what the what the pan, the impact of the pandemic. Um, runningthrough.org is the website you can go to if you want to get involved. Um, yeah, so you know there might be some some results from that which might shed some light on uh, on what it means to to runners. But um, how are you? Yeah, fine, mate. Been very lucky to avoid um, catching COVID this whole time. So yeah, very thankful for that. Yeah, back doing. You know, put, put together a few 14, 15 milers. No, no, no particular great pace going on, but um, yeah, nice to be running for like a couple of hours on a on the weekend because that feels like that's a you know that's a for me it's like a sort of proper a proper long run outing. Um, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to chat, Rick, about you. Your your default mental reaction is to m- mention pace. True, oh, true. As if that's a, if that's a great quantifier. I feel like you know this is this is progress for the new year, Rick. We need to just remove that from you. <laughs> you're right i think I'm, I'm still judging a run success on speed to a certain extent and that's not right um but well unless it's a race unless it's a race of course <laughs> no, no it definitely is no it was, it was um no it was good it was, it, was, it was really nice to be out there again and i'm feeling uh yeah i'm feeling good about just getting back to running a little bit no particular competitive goals yet but i do I, yeah I, i'm starting to miss i'm starting to miss not having a race in the diary so i would love to mm. be back doing it come the the early summer would be great nice yeah okay so that's the yeah goal. I, that's the goal. Uh, that sounds that sounds good i would agree i don't really want to train for anything over winter to be if i'm brutally honest i think i might just in, you know keep it low key and yeah. then when the weather gets nice maybe just like a end of year race oh, okay maybe like yeah a, like an autumn an autumn marathon i said you know yeah i mean there's lots to be said for the autumn marathon isn't there training over, autumn training half over marathon, summer maybe. all that kind of stuff yeah yeah exactly happy days with that um happy happy days tell us about this person we've got on then 
Oh, well, Rick, we've got the great mind of Josh Watson on the podcast this week. Uh, he's a trainer specializing in sort of uh, movement and, and position and, and pain. And, and he's, uh, yeah, he does a lot of work in, in how the fundamentals of movement and uh, how the body should hold itself and how you can use, you know, train to be in the correct position. And position in running is so important in terms of uh, how to maximize on uh, power and you know posture and things like that so yeah we 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 have a good chat with josh about uh body the body and how it moves and running and all those sorts of things and some breathing rick but not just breathing in and out and how to do that properly but breathing and you know, sort of like a skeletal how it holds the body up kind of way so there you go well let's let's usher this man in through the medium <laughs> of of great rock song oh great great <laughs> rock song Josh, welcome to the Runners World podcast. Thank you. Would you just give us a brief intro into who you are and the work that you do? So I am a sports therapist. I'm based in Hertfordshire and I'm based in a CrossFit gym. So typical clientele are CrossFitters, obviously. Um, two main sort of streams of work I go down is treating people who are going through rehab and injury and then getting people to move better. So uh, basically being in a CrossFit gym, the amount of variability we need for this sport is quite well suited for me being in here. Um, and the two kind of go hand in hand with if we don't have enough m movement um, in our bodies then we're going to compensate a lot more. Um, so yeah, so we going hand in hand. I'm going down mobility route for some people, going down injury route. And some people it's a bit of both uh, just to make people move and feel better basically. And we always bang on about running being this sort of like uh, primitive movement that everyone should be able to do. If you put your running hat on for a minute, what's the sort of, uh how do you approach running as a set of movements so running is well, it's quite a simple movement when you when you think about it mm. but there's a lot of losses in range of motion that i pick up on when i'm assessing someone um that will be quite detrimental to how they're going to be running and how efficient they're going to be running mm. um if we think about running as like what's going on in the movement there's just rotation going through the whole body so if you think about the upper body you've got one arm moving forward one arm coming back You've got the thorax or the rib cage rotating from one side to the other. The pelvis is shifting from one side. You've got one leg doing something in rotation compared to the other side. So if simply put, it's just rotation occurring everywhere. So when I'm assessing <laughs> someone, how much rotation do they have in their body? Um, and you can kind of pick this up if you're just going through a standard shoulder rotation assessment or hip rotation assessment. And you can just base on a couple of table tests, you can say you can kind of predict how much rotation you're gonna have and what their running or their gait cycle is actually gonna be like. So really we just need to add more rotation into our training and back into our lives, but apparently we've lost all that. So this is why a lot oh. of people struggle at running. Right, I see. Not rotating. <laughs> Typical lifestyles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I to be honest, that makes sense. I, I can't I don't think of running as a rotational thing. So they even off the top of my head, as someone who works in running. It's very linear most of the time, isn't it? It is. It, on the, simply put, it is linear. But when you look at every joint moving through its full range, well, there's always an element of rotation happening mm. everywhere throughout the body. So There we go. That's what people don't think about, I think. Mm. 
Is it quite common to not be um, sort of symmetrical when it comes to your ability to rotate? Would you often find someone who's much better rotating left than right or vice versa? Yes. So no one is symmetrical on any assessment I do, really. And this is because the body is naturally asymmetrical. If we think about the internal organs, we're not symmetrical inside. So that pattern portrays on the outside in terms of our structure as well. So everyone's going to have differences from side to side. Even if we're right right hand dominant, right foot dominant, we're still going to have a similar pattern everywhere throughout the body. Uh, so yes, asymmetry is normal. And I wouldn't think, um, I wouldn't try and be perfect and try and get everyone symmetrical when they're running. They just need as much range as they need to perform the efficient pattern when they're actually going through the gait cycle. Is there a best way to prepare then? I mean, in terms of um, if someone was brand new to running or coming back from injury or that sort of thing, is, is there a sort of a best way to prepare the body for running? Yeah, so, I mean, if we break it down into the two crowds of people, um, running is obviously the most accessible sport we can all pick up on, so we get a wide range of people doing it. If we pick up on the more sedentary crowd who haven't done anything and it's like New Year's resolution, let's just get couch to 5K sort of thing, they just don't have enough stability within their system. And if we've got a lack of stability in the system, we're going to lose certain measurements throughout the body. So we're going to have a loss of movement variability as well. Um, so for the sedentary crowd, I think just a basic level of strength training going through the fundamental patterns and picking up on that is going to add an element of restoring some movement back into their system and will pick up on some rotation and be more efficient in, in running in doing so. Uh, when it comes to people who are training all the time, um, I feel like they've got an underlying pattern which is not helping them run. So if I'm if I'm being um, if I'm picky with who I'm seeing, let's just say uh, someone in CrossFit, I don't see CrossFitters as the best runners because the sport that we do in CrossFit kind of pushes us into biasing other patterns and being strong in those. So we lose elements of rotation when we're training typical movements that we see in CrossFit. Think of something like a back squat or an overhead squat. It's the opposite kind of adaptation that we need to be able to run efficiently. So it depends who, who's in front of you, really. More sedentary people just need a lot more stability in their system. And someone who's training a lot needs to add a bit more variability and add some more rotational elements in their training to pick up on these losses of range of motion, which is going to be more efficient when they're actually running as well. Could we quickly talk specifics then for, for the beginner? So this sort of rudimentary strength work, what, what kind of things are we talking about there? So if I'm assessing someone, I can, if I'm assessing their range of motion, I'm picking up on certain limitations there. Um, they might have limitations in hip flexion. They might have a limitation in shoulder flexion. And what they're showing me is they've got a position where the whole body is moving forward in space. I don't know if you can picture that, but imagine someone standing up and they're kind of like banana in forward. So they're bowing through their midline. Um, and essentially, these people are falling forward. So if we think about running, we're trying to move forward. So it kind of makes sense that if we're falling forward, it's going to help us. But that can actually be kind of counterproductive as well. So if we push them back in space first, give them a bit more anterior chain work, a bit more core stability, it helps get a little bit more grounded and a bit more stable on our feet. That's going to pick up some, on some range of motion measurements and we're going to pick up on a more efficient gait cycle through doing so. So if I can picture that the most basic exercise that I feel like someone should be able to perform well is something like a low bear hold where you're just driving your hands into the floor, the knees are just popped off the floor slightly and you're just stabilizing a nice brace position, just a static position, 30 second hold. And if you're doing that 
well with a really good exhale as well to make sure the ribs are in a good position, the pelvis is in a good position. Uh, that's just the basic movement I just assess someone on. Can they stabilize themselves? Not even moving yet. Before we even get into any kind of moving and stabilizing exercises. An anterior chain is just is is for lower back, glutes, hamstrings. That's the sort of thing you're talking about, really. It was. I'm thinking a posterior chain being like the spinal erectors, anything on the back side of the body that's going to squeeze us and pull right. us back, pretty much. So I'm thinking more anterior chain. Yeah. Can we compress the front ribs and more abs? Can we tuck the pelvis a bit more? So maybe some more hamstrings in a posterior tilted position rather than anterior. Um, and anything yeah. that's going to push us backwards in space. So anything like that involves reaching, if we're reaching forward, that's essentially pushing our ribcage backwards. So anything that's going to drive our orientation in space backwards, if that makes sense. If anyone, uh, and uh, we'll put a link to, to Josh's Insta bio in, in the description and stuff. But Josh, what's your handle on Instagram? Uh, my handle is Josh D. Watson. So it's just my name. Go and have a look because there's a lot of stuff that Josh references here that you'll probably explain on his Instagram. But certainly position is one thing that you're you're very interested in. In a, from a uh, And runners always talk about body position when we're doing it, but yours is sort of more of a training position. But the position of the body when you perform specific exercises. Um, just elaborate a little bit on that, if you don't mind, just in sort of like how intrinsically important position is to sort of developing and and making progress. Yeah, so if I, um, we'll talk about the pelvis. Um, so most people know what anterior pelvic tilt is. It's basically when the, the pelvis moves forward in space and tips forward. Um, that would be one position that we probably don't think is the most efficient position to be when we're running. We want to train more on a posteriorly tilted pelvis which is going to drive the anterior chain stuff I spoke about earlier, some more abs, more hamstrings. And if we are making sure when we're going through our exercise selection, we're selecting exercises that are influencing that position a bit more, it's going to shift our center of mass back, get us a bit more grounded and provide us with a bit more stability, basically. Um, so exercise selection is pretty crucial when it comes to being in the gym um, as to what is going to apply better in running. So for a runner, I wouldn't probably say an overhead squat is going to be much use to them at all from a, a training perspective um, but if we're picking a movement such as a, um, a front loaded split squat where we've got a little bit of rotation in there we're driving the arms forward we're reaching we get a bit of abs in there and we're thinking about a different position that we're kind of training in so we want to train in these positions to eventually save them into our sort of everyday posture and then we can move through that posture when it comes to, to running it's kind of complex. Yeah, it is. It totally is. But but the fundamentals of basically replicating the movements of running in sort of static, well, not necessarily static, but but replicating the movements of running in a refined way that targets the muscles or the, the sort of parts of the body that need conditioning. As you say, rather than just going to the gym and doing 10 lots of deadlifts or, you know, something very generic and leggy because you think like, I'm a runner, I need to train my legs. It's actually more like, actually, no, it needs to be like, as you say, a split squat weighted in this way to replicate the rotational forces and, and all those sorts of things exactly that yeah when people are going to the gym it's like their kind of first time uh we've got a little bit of running in our system we want to add a bit of strength to it i think we end up picking the movements that we see are the traditional movements that we should pick so we pick back squats we pick bench press and we pick deadlift but in in reality they're not really the most beneficial exercises they're going to help our way to run they're just the movements we see and then we uh, we try and progress those. 
but there's a lot more out there. It's just um, we we don't get exposed to that. Um, so yeah, exercise selection and in that sense of what we're exposed to is not helping us. How important, Josh, is, is the work kind of outside the gym? I guess I'm talking about maybe not when you're running, not when you're deliberately targeting anything in the gym, but actually just how you how you move in your everyday life, maybe how you sit, how you walk, all those sort of things that aren't very glamorous, but actually possibly we spend more of our time doing that than we do running or, or gym work. Um, how, how big a role do they play in actually moving and uh, getting the right position? Yeah, so when it comes to, I guess, posture and sitting and kind of these low stimulus activities we're going throughout the day, I tend to not too much uh, put too much emphasis on them. I tend to think if we're going throughout our training, which is a higher stimulus, and we're going through the patterns that are going to replicate what we need, then because it's a higher stimulus, we should effectively save them patterns for when we're, we're just sitting down having a chat here. Um, a lot of people will talk about what's the best sitting posture. But to be honest, if, if you're feeling like you're having a worry about your sitting posture, maybe you need to reevaluate what you're training in the positions you're kind of pushing yourself into in training, that are making you feel like that as well. Um, so I don't set, tend to put too much emphasis on that. I think if we if we give it the right inputs in our training and not worry about all the other stuff, because that's just stressful. We don't want to be sitting at work thinking about what position I've got to sit in and I need to get up every couple of seconds to get some movement in. I just think if we train, train the system to move better in the first place, um, then I think that's going to be an easier route for people to go down. Kind of if you get the training right, then the other things yeah. will kind of fall into place yeah, definitely, yeah. around it. Okay. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about breathing because, I, I, again, off the back of your Instagram and, and a post that you put up, we talk about breath work and it can kind of almost immediately draw quite wishy-washy sort of holistic, possibly, like notions of, you know, in for five, out for six and you're all good. But your what you do in terms of working on breath, do you want to just, like, and, and, and certainly how that, it, uh, the relationship between, say, like the rib cage and the rest of the body and, and how that affects movement, just elaborate a bit more on that. Sure. So when I'm looking at breathing, I'm not really looking at someone and how effective they are for breathing in terms of how much inhale they're getting in and timing it or anything like that. I'm looking at it from what, what positions is, some, is someone in and how that position is affecting their breathing. Um, so if we think about the rib cage, uh, try and simplify this. If we've got someone who has got a large rib flare on the front, it's as if someone's behind them, pushing them forward. So they've opened at the front, someone's compressing them in the back, they're squeezing their back in. That person will look like they've just taken a big breath of air in. So they're in a state of inhalation now. So that position alone 
is going to affect the way we're going to move. Um, if we've got this rib float at the front, we've got a loss of pressure at the front. So now we can't stabilize ourselves back in space, get nice and grounded and get stable again. Um, so if that person is looking like they're in an inhale position, they're going to lose certain ranges of motion somewhere. And if we think about the respiratory side of it when, we, when it comes to running, if they've got an inhaled rib cage, they probably can't exhale to get all the air out. So it's like when they exhale, they've probably still got a little bit left inside them. So you'll notice these people who have like a, an anterior rib cage on the front, a rib flare, they're going to struggle getting a, a good exhale in there. But if we're thinking from like a recovery standpoint, the position that the body is in has now affected oxygen intake uh, because we can't officially get air in if we can't get it all out. So I'm looking from a perspective like what positions is that person in? How is it going to affect their respiratory system? And then you can tie that into if they're constantly in an inhale position, they're probably going to have a slightly higher heart rate as well. Because when we inhale, our heart rate goes up, and when we exhale, it goes down. But these people are living in an inhale position. So that's the, the lens I'm looking at. Rather than kind of breathing itself, what position, what, what position the body is in and how that's going to affect um, the way you're breathing and recovering in a workout, really. And the way you're going to move at the same time. Yeah, for sure. Like if you're... If you're doing threshold work, absolutely. If you can't exhale like to your full capacity and you're trying to work at your uppermost aerobic limit, then you're not going to be able to push yourself as hard as you can because you can't effectively expel energy, like expel the air properly, correct? Correct, yeah. And if we can't get a lot of air in, we think we're going to, it's like we've got compression around the ribcage. So now we're going to get a loss in shoulder range of motion. And people don't think when it comes to running, well, how's the shoulder, you know, what do I need to think about shoulder rotation for? When I'm assessing shoulder rotation, I'm looking at how well the rib cage is moving pretty much. And when we're going through the gait cycle, we should be shifting from one side to the other. So we're getting this whole rotation element, like, like we said at the beginning. So these, um, these positions are going to affect us throughout the whole system globally, rather than just in, in one joint. God, I've started to worry that I'm, I've got some kind of inhaled <laughs> position. That I'm just currently inhaled. What, what, would, um, what would cause that? And would you, would, is it also, because obviously I think breath is like, it's kind of obviously tied in with like uh, your mental state as well. Would you, would you expect someone who's in that kind of position to be more like anxious or to be more, or to find it harder to concentrate? Or do you not really go into that side of things, Josh? Um, I don't dive into that, but it always, we always have a conversation about that. Because if I'm looking from an injury perspective, if someone has um, poor positions, they're not only going to load things differently, but they're going to probably have a more, more stress running through the system. Um, so if we can dial in positioning a bit more in training, we can have an effect on not just someone's position, not just their mobility, but you can have an effect on their respiratory system, their nervous system, their stress state, just by the way they're training and picking certain exercises as opposed to maybe what they were doing in the past. So it kind of ties in perfectly if you're you're rehabbing an injury, you're trying to get someone to move better, and you're just trying to improve their just general lifestyle. And that can all be done by selecting the most efficient exercises based on who's in front of you, pretty much. Does the same work then for sort of posture in a rounded back, sort of the hunched shoulders way? Is it the opposite of a flare then? Is it that the people aren't able to inhale enough? Uh, that's like another layer going into it. Right. Um, I think of the shoulders coming forward because we don't have expansion in the front upper chest. And a lot of people do kind of like, I mean, I mean, what would you say would be a normal drill to fix shoulders coming back? Just off the top of your head. Banded drills, right? 
I think that I think that resistance band behind the head, you know, like yeah, yeah. The rose just endlessly like contracting the scap, trying to squeeze the ball behind in the middle of the back, that that sort of stuff. Yeah. So you're focusing on the specific tissue. Again, it's a pull back. But if we think about the forward shoulder position, it's the underlying structure which is going to be the issue. So it's the ribcage positioning which is dictating where the shoulders go in the space. So actually, I think a banded pull apart is going to be less. I think you could actually be going backwards doing that. <laughs> oh, wow. So okay. how would you, so in, when you're fundamentally changing the sort of structure, how do, how do you approach that then? Rather, you know, is it is it literally like lifting the chest? How, what's yeah, the sort of, because I'm sitting here doing loads of weird so movements. So if you sit there <laughs> and you do a nice exhale, the ribs are going to close. Imagine there's an angle, that the angle underneath your rib cage. It's called the infrasternal angle. When we exhale, that should close down. If we maintain pressure there and then exhale in and try and keep the rib cage down, where's air going to go? It's going to pump somewhere else as, a, as opposed to the guy who's doing the belly breathing. So, and then we can pick exercises. Um, imagine we inverted someone on um, like a, a decline bench press. We can then use gravity to favour chucking some airflow down into the, the upper ribs as well. So we can, it's, it's, it's like a whole other conversation really, but we, we, we can pick positions, <laughs> we can pick positions making sure we've got a, you know, a tight core, I hate saying the word core, but a tight core and then um, we can drive certain measurements up and um, improvements in, in the ribcage positioning. But if you've got rib flare, you're probably not going to be able to move airflow around and pressure around the forex as well anyway. So the first thing to do would be to close that rib, rib, rib cage down a little bit. Um, I think what Ben said about um, how breath work can sound like, yeah, it's slightly hard to pin down and maybe people don't really think, you know, keys think, well, I can breathe, you know, how much, how much is there to breathing? You know, what, what would you, what would you say the kind of the big, the big benefits for learning to breathe well? Cause I'm not sure it's an area that all runners yet kind of buy into. Yeah, so I don't really think of it as um, learning to breathe in like um, a low stimulus setting. So I'm not thinking about sitting here now and going through some breathing drills. I'm thinking, can we find a position that we want to improve in and then increase the intensity or increase the weight in that position to up the stimulus and then learn to breathe throughout the position? So I'm thinking, can we resist fatigue in breathing in a certain position? Because we're always going to fall to the path of least resistance. And when we're fatiguing, we're just going to kind of fall forward in space because everything's knackered and our core's kind of fatigued. So we're just going to destabilize the system. So it's about trying to manage pressure within our system rather than thinking about breath work. So I, a lot of people think I'm doing like breath work with people, but we're just strength training and adding like a respiration element to it so we can position people better. That's, that's all it is really. I don't really think about the specific breathing element, but rather let's train to breathe in a better position to make that our new bias, if that makes sense. And is that because the diaphragm is a muscle essentially, right? So it's like any muscle you can you, you train it, you can make it stronger. Yeah, you can. And if you um, was on that in that low bear hold position and done a full XL, you're going to feel a ton of abs. And it's just everything compressing the rib cage or focusing on what the diaphragm is doing in conjunction with stabilizing the structure. Uh, so yeah, of course you can train it. Yeah. This is very general, and whenever we get a trainer on, or you know anyone, and we say, "Is there five things that everyone can do to, you know, taking that every single person is exactly the same?" But we've talked about core, and we've talked about certain, you know, muscle groups and 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 things like that. Are there three exercises? And you you said about the bear hold. 
Are there sort of things that everyone can do to prime their body before running? Um, so if we break it down into the two categories again, because I feel like the two categories need very different things. If we're going for the the person who doesn't train a lot and they might have not had a lot of exposure in the gym, any type of crawling work is great. Uh, because we're thinking about moving the ribcage back, we're reaching with the arms, we're thinking about the abs, we're trying to stabilize the system, thinking like a reverse bear crawl or something. Um, any type of traditional core exercise, but thinking about an exhalation as well, because you're going to, I mean, if you do a front plank and then add an element of just exhaling really well, you're going to find a, a better stimulus out of that. So it's just thinking about going through these traditional core exercises with a bit more intent sometimes. Um, when it comes to the more trained person, I think we need to just reduce a lot of the bilateral work we're doing because if we're trying to, you know, mimic running and the gait cycle, we're talking about more rotation. So bilateral exercise, if that's 90% of our training, we need to kind of move towards more unilateral work and think about rotating, hip shifting, one arm reaching, one arm coming back. So just thinking about just mimicking a, a, a specific position in the gait cycle pretty much. Um, and those people who are more trained tend to be stuck in a bilateral plane and they can't move in a transverse plane. So they can't move in rotation. Yep, guilty. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all do it. We've all just trained bilaterally all, you know, for years when we first go to a gym as well. So you're talking sort of like, uh, again, with the <clears throat> you mentioned a split squat earlier, so sort of a, a split squat but with, with some rotation in there. Yeah, um, and not everyone is going to be in a position where they can rotate straight away. Um, that might be, mm. uh, there's a bit of a learning curve to that, but I'm thinking about if we're in a split squat and say we're holding a goblet position going down, if we're, if we have the left leg in front of us, the right shoulder is going to move forward and we're going to be shifting into that back left hip as well. So I'm thinking about shifting in the hip, moving in rotation in the rib cage and just trying to add a little bit of an element in that. Stop being so rigid in our movements, I guess, and stop trying to stabilize a solid structure and just get a little bit more fluid throughout everything. There we go, Rick. A bit more fluid, Rick. That's what we need. A bit more fluid. Sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I started doing a slightly more single leg strength work, very much like what Josh is saying, slightly more like specific to running. I find it made a huge difference, actually. Um, and it's not surprising when you kind of explain it, you're like running's a single leg activity, pretty much, isn't it? You're kind of jumping from one leg to another, but yeah. it's very easy to get into the um, doing everything with two legs just because it's kind of that's what you kind of that's the norm i don't know it's the default isn't it exactly. yeah it's the default exactly but even when we're doing the, the single leg stuff uh we tend to still look very static and we look like we're moving forward still but if we're thinking of why are we doing a unilateral exercise we're trying to add some rotation development back into our system so make sure you're going through that bit of rotation as well um what what about something like plyometrics josh is that something you um you get into it feels like it has an application to running but i think a lot of people don't do it because it just feels a bit like you know one more thing that they have to they should be doing uh yeah i mean that's further down the line if, the, if they've got um if they've picked up on enough range of motion we'll kind of move to a lot more of a plyometric exercise and you can think of like um, a single leg box step up and then when you step up shift the other leg up in the hip flexion so the other knees coming up and then moving the arm with it as well so it's like you're like you're walking up the stairs pretty much but a lot of people just step up onto the box and then step back down again but i mean we can add more to that and we can speed that up but um, if we've got the position dialed in to start with we'll be able to do plyometrics a little bit easier okay i see what you mean yeah yeah get that's the starting point and then you can add weight and add dynamism as you go 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I tend to think if we've got that position down to a T though, and we've picked up, you know, some of the rotational measurements back in the body, the running is going to be much more efficient anyway. Um, you know, it's a quick sport. We shouldn't really be thinking so much about technique when we're doing it. I mean, we can obviously, but I, I tend to think we focus too much on technique, but people can't even move into positions yet. So it's like we're wasting our time trying to move people into somewhere they can't even get into. And then there's just a compensation going on. But if we just teach people how to move a little bit more efficiently, they're going to find that easier path anyway. You know, over a 10-minute run, they're going to fall into the, the easiest, most efficient way to, to do it, basically. There you go. I think that's correct. I think about running too much when I'm running. So that that might well be the uh, the thing that I need to stop doing. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think for someone who's just going into running, you know, they don't really need to focus on technique. They just need to get the miles in to start with. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then maybe add some element of strength training in there, which is going to pick up on some some better movement qualities throughout the body. And then further down the line, you know, like maybe six months to a year, maybe dial in some technique with that. I just think we're, we're wasting a bit of time if we dial in straight on technique when we're just literally learning how to run again sometimes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Hey, Josh, um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's great to have uh, some actual intelligent chat because uh, normally it's just me and Rick and Jane talking nonsense. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Thanks for your time. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. So that brings us to the end of this week's Runners World podcast. Huge thanks to our guest, Josh Watson, and to you, of course, for listening. You can subscribe to Runners World magazine on the internet and then it will arrive at your house and then you can read it. What, the internet? Yeah, well, you can read it on the internet too, but you can subscribe and then the magazine will come to your house. Oh, wow. And then you can look online as well for great content. And then the next month, another issue will arrive. It's a very, very good system. Um, <laughs> just Google or Runners World UK subscription and you'll find it. It's on hearstmagazines.co.uk. It will be the, one of the best decisions you've ever made in your life. Um, you obviously listen to this podcast already, but you should tell all your friends to listen to it and they can find it on Acast, iTunes and all of their favourite podcast apps. Just search Runners World UK. Please subscribe. That's the best thing you can possibly do. Thank you for listening. And you won't see us, but you'll hear us again next week. I've always wondered about that. We always said, see you next week. We don't see mm, any. Is it, is, it, is it just a phrase? Is it, is it you know, I, I know what you mean. It's not literally true, it's is it? It's not literally but, true. So, you know, hear mm. you again. He, you'll hear us again next week. Does that sound weird? Hear, hear us again next yeah, week? It sounds weird. Know. I mean, but, you know. Right. Anyway, yeah, we'll work it we'll out. We'll work it out. Anyway, bye. Bye. <laughs>